ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was asked once again if I would be prepared and ready and able to share a little bit tonight. And I thought, wow, I've got kind of a busy week. We're into harvest. We're doing things in the fields. Um, it's busy. So what's the plan? I'm, I'm praying, God, what, what do you want me to say? What do you want what do you have for me to share with the people? And, and the only thing that came back to me was the plan. Oh, that's nice. Can you be a little bit more specific? A little bit, give me a little more than that? No, just, just the plan. Just share the plan. So, the plan is different than what we thought. We thought, you know what? Sim would have his sabbatical. He'd come back and he'd, come, he'd be preaching. It wouldn't be me up here. It wouldn't be Dave in the mornings. It would be Sim. And, and sometimes we think we have this plan all figured out and this is the way it's going to work. And then something happens. And for Sim, it's, it's this health issue that keeps on plaguing him and it won't go away. Um, for others, it's other people have different troubles too. Some other people have some other health issues that are, are throwing some curveballs into their plans too. And it's not the way they thought it was going to work out. What is the plan? Has the plan changed? Like I said, we have different types of plans. We make plans in our business. We have financial plans and plans for retirement. Um, we have plans for our automobile insurance. In case something happens, there's a plan to take care of it. We have plans for the future. Um, some of us have plans to get married. And Josh and uh, Michelle plan this, this Friday to get married. Um, and we wish them all the best and blessings on, on that. Um, but things can throw a curveball and things can get messed up. I was on the phone just the other day with someone who was a farmer and he got injured. He had his farm and no longer he could take care of the farm. His injury was too bad. So what he did was for a few years he rented it out to people and they, they used the land and they would pay him for using the land. And they used the farm buildings. He had a pig barn on that, on that farm. They used that building to raise pigs for themselves. And they paid him. And that was, seemed to be going all right. But then somebody said to him, or a bunch of people said, you know what, you could do better if you sold that farm and invested the money. You could make more money. It could be better for you. So he got a plan together and he thought with real estate people and, and whatnot and financial people. And he came up with this plan. He sold the farm and he invested the money. But now COVID's happened and inflation things have happened and, and the investments aren't doing as good as what he had hoped. And he said to me on the phone, he said, you know what, I'm working and, and each month that I work, the money that I have invested is losing more than the money I'm making. He's only got a part-time job right now, but he said the, the money that I'm making, it's, it's not even enough to cover what I'm losing. The plan is not working the way it was supposed to. And, and we have that. and We have all of our plans, and, and yet sometimes they go awry and they go not the way we think they should go. Um, Does God have a plan? And we would say absolutely he does. It's not a question. Um, I'm going to read a little bit out of Job. I didn't really have, and 
That was the thing. God said, speak on the plan. He didn't give me a passage of scripture to, to nail down everything I was going to talk about. He bits and pieces here and there, which is harder for me because I like a, a chunk. And then I look at that, a story, and, and come up with my thoughts from there and, and the thoughts that he gives me. Um, but it wasn't like that this time. So that leaves me a little bit nervous. It's a little bit out of, off the plan. The plan is not quite, not quite what I would have come up with. But Job 38, um, 4 to 12, I'm going to read a little piece here. It says, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth? As if it had an issue out of the womb. When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, and no further, and here shall thou proud waves be stayed. God has a plan. And you know what? He made it. He made that plan before the foundations of the earth. And it's got different parts. And sometimes we think God's plan is not going the way he thought it was going to go. That's not the way we should think about it. God's plan does not change. It does not vary. He's not wondering um, what's going to happen next. He shares with Job and his friends that he made the earth. He's, he's the one. He set the foundations of it. Nobody else. Nobody was there to hold the measuring tape for God to design how big he's going to make it, how, how far the stars are going to be apart, or, or anything like that. He's, and when the sons of God sang together, he planned that all out for his glory and for his purposes. Ephesians 1, 3 to 9 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us all with spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable and beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. I don't want to get into a discussion on election and versus free will. That's a topic for another day. But we can see from these verses in Ephesians as well that God has a plan. And it's going according to his plan. And we may look at things and say, you know what, that looks a little messy. That looks like it might not be in the plan of God. That looks like it might be beyond what he's controlling. But no. God has a plan. 
And he, it's all in his plan. It's all going according to what he has designed. Um, and sometime before the foundation of the world, you had the Father, you had the Son, you had the Holy Spirit, and they discussed what that plan was going to be, and they set it into motion when they said, let us, let us make the earth. Like I said, is this world in, with its chaos out of God's control? What about the wars in Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Gaza? Afghanistan, Central Africa, Republic, Ethiopia, Libya, Malia, Somalia, South Sudan, and Syria are all experiencing civil wars. We don't hear about that stuff in the news. That's kind of uh, little stuff, I guess. I don't know. Not to those people. We hear about violence in our streets. And just Wednesday again, this Wednesday passed, another mass shooting in the U.S., this time in the state of Maine. We just came through the pandemic. Or what about the way the world is given to abortion and, and same-sex marriages and that whole mess? Is this all in God's control? Where is his plan? Can we know his plan? While these verses in Ephesians says we can know his will, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, we can know his plan. Do we know his plan? Do we know what he's doing? <laughs> A young man says to a young woman that he's fond of, you know what, I think it's the plan of God that we should get married. She says, I don't think so. And walks away never to speak to him again. Speak to him again. She, we can get it wrong. We can misinterpret the plan. God's plan can be like a puzzle, and we are like the pieces that are being put into place. And sometimes we see how we match with the next piece, but we don't see the whole picture altogether, so looks a little foggy to us, and we aren't getting the whole picture sometimes. God started to show just a little glimpse of his plan. And he started way back, way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. He, he said to them, Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Do you know that a woman doesn't have seed? It's the man who, who contributes the seed into the union. But God said here that there's going to be enmity between Satan, that's what was represented by the serpent, and Eve's seed. And we looked at that before um, in one of the other times that I spoke. He had a plan. And his plan has not changed. God shares with Adam and Eve his plan that he set in motion. Genesis 6, God shows Noah a little different part of his plan. And he says to Noah, you know what? Satan is, is ruining this world with his involvement and his influence. And I'm going to destroy it. And God says, I'm going to use you, a remnant, to save a seed alive so that my plan can continue. And he shows Noah another little piece of the plan. And Noah builds the ark, and we know that story. And God used Noah and his family to continue the plan. Genesis 17, God shows Abraham, Abram, now Abraham, a part of his plan. And I like what Romans 4.19 says. Abraham, it says, he did not consider his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of his womb. 
Abraham had faith. He had faith to trust in his plan, even though he looked at himself and said, I'm as good as a dead guy. Being 100 years old, he said, I'm as good as dead. I can't make the plan happen. And he had faith in God that God would make the, pl the plan happen. And because he had faith in that big overall plan, I, I like what it says in Genesis 18, 17 and 18. Because the Lord comes to him, he's going to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says to Abraham, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. James 2:23, Isaiah 41, verse 8, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. If you've got a pencil, write them down. Go read them later on. But it says God calls Abraham his friend. So Genesis 18, verse 17 could have read, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham, my friend, that thing which I will do? He could have said that. Because other places in the, in the Scripture, God said of Abraham that he is my friend. Can we say that? Can we say that we're such a friend of God? He would show us the plans that he has for us and for this world. Psalms 22, David prophesied about God's plan and specifically parts of the crucifixion. And David, the time from David to Jesus is about 1,039 years is what it said. Isaiah 53, Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. Isaiah's shown a part of the plan. And that's about 700 years before Jesus' birth. Ephesians 1, 9 again. Having made known unto to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. So the question, does the God, plan of God change? Some would say, isn't Israel proof that God changed his plan when he put them aside for their rejection of him? If you want to see the whole of Israel's rejection and restoration, you need to read through Romans chapters 9, 10, 11. But just a few quick thoughts. Romans 9, 31 to 33. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Israel followed after the law of righteousness. They were trying to attain righteousness by following the law. And it says they didn't seek it by faith. Isaiah 53 verse 11 says this about Jesus. It says, He shall see of the travail of his soul. He shall sat be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. Not by keeping the law. It's by the righteousness of the servant. By the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That, and they missed it. They missed it. Wherefore, because they didn't seek it by faith. They sought it by works of the law. And they stumbled at that stone. Jesus said, I am the rock. Um, remember Matthew 16 where Jesus asked his disciples who he was. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And part of Jesus' response to Peter was to say to Peter, you are Peter. And Peter's name meant stone. And it says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And that rock is Jesus Christ, the truth that he is the Lord and he will pay for our sins. And it says, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overpower it. Like I said, Israel was trying to get righteousness by keeping the law. And the Lord Jesus was a stumbling stone to them. They didn't see him as the Messiah. Romans 11, 1 and 2. Because in my years, and even in high school already, I ran into people that said, you know what? When it says Israel in, in God's word, you can take that out and you can put in church. That's wrong. You, you can't do that. Um, they, they said to me, this young fellow, he said to me, you know what? Israel failed and God threw, him, threw them aside. Um, but listen to what it says in Romans 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. And Paul's speaking here. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture said of Isaiah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, God knew. And even the fall and the rejection of Israel was a part of the plan. Romans 9, verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more shall their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might have some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? God says, there's a coming a time when I will restore them back. And, and we see that even in the prophet Hosea and how he's, he was instructed to take that woman who was not faithful and to take her back. God has not cast away the Israelites. Paul also talks here about the seed of Abraham, that genetic line that Jesus was born into. And he, Paul, was also born into. Romans 3 one verse three, sorry, says this. Paul speaking again. It says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus was of the genetic line of the seed of David. And you can trace it all the way back to Adam, all the way back to Noah. He was from that physical line, and there was a physical seed that Jesus was traceable to. Not only that, when... When the Israelites were taken to Egypt, Egypt was a physical, a real oppressor. And when God delivered them by the plagues, those were real plagues that were happening. Not just spiritual things, not just spiritual torment. And when they went to the Red Sea, that was a physical Red Sea that God parted. 
And he opened it up and they passed through on dry ground and they got to the other side and the Egyptians followed them and a physical sea drowned the Egyptians. And they were buried in there. And they went into Canaan and they crossed the Jordan River and they, they wandered in a physical wilderness for years. And they came to the Jordan River, a physical river, and God parted that. And, they went, and the story goes on. They went to Jericho. It was a physical city that God gave them victory over. Physical. It was a real thing. Not, not that we can say, you know what? Israel wasn't ever God's chosen people. They weren't. It was part of his plan. It was a part of his plan to bring Jesus to Bethlehem, number one, so that they could be a blessing to the whole world through Jesus. Let's go on. So what is the plan? Well, I think we all know. And I, I wanted to share a little bit because you run into people and, and like when I was in young and I ran into that person, I wasn't prepared to have all the answers, but I, I think sometimes we need to be thinking a little bit ahead and we need to know what to say when we run into these people and they have different theologies that are a little bit off, maybe a whole lot off. Um, we need to be able to know what to say. Um, I'm going to read a little bit in Romans 10, 8 to 11. It says, But what, what saith it? The word is nigh unto thee, even, at, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. This is the plan. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. It was close to them. It says the word was nigh unto them even in their mouths and in their heart. The word of faith. But they didn't see it that way. They wanted a physical king who would save them from a physical enemy and, and would be their king. And they didn't see their sin problem. But God didn't want to be a king of a sinful people in a broken and fallen world. He wanted to redeem this world. He wanted to get rid of the sin problem. The problem was not Rome. The problem was not the Babylonians or whoever else, the Syrians, might have bothered them all of their lives. That was not the problem. The problem was their sin. And he wanted to get rid of that problem. But all they could see was a physical problem. All they could see was what was right before them from day to day. That's all they knew. John 16, 20, or John 6, 29 says this, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6, 37 and 40 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him 
may have everlasting life, and I'll raise them up the last day. I, I look at these times, and we call them our gospel services on Sunday night, so I, my heart is to make sure the gospel is shared clearly, boldly, um, and as open and, and plain as I can make it every time I get a chance. This is God's plan. God's plan is to take your sin away from you and to put it on Jesus and to bury it away in the farthest so that it can't be retrievable again. That's his plan. And to raise you up in the newness of life as he did raise Jesus from the dead. That's his plan. And all of this working, all of the Old Testament, some people say, you know what? You got the Old Testament divided into new. God worked one way back then. God works new way now in the New Testament. And it's, it's different. And there were stages and there were different parts of his plan, just like you watch a, a, a presentation, a, a, a play, and there's act one and there's act two and act three, and as many acts as there may be, there were different stages of that plan, but the plan has always been from the beginning of the world, from before beginning of the world, from whenever God planned it, that he would send his son. He, he was not taken by surprise. My dad told us a story. He was born in 1930. So when the war in Europe, the Second World War happened, he, by the time it ended, he was about 15. And he said, when it wasn't going good anymore for Germany, and they were starting to have to pull back, retreat, the headline that came in the papers was not, we're retreating. The headline that came in the papers was, Prüchetrecker, uh, follow and plan. So following plan, pull back. They didn't want to, they were saving face. They didn't want to say we're retrieving, retreating because it's not going well. They said, no, according to plan, we're just pulling back. God didn't pull back. God didn't ever go, you know what? I've got Adam and Eve on, in the garden. Oops. Oops. They sinned. Now what? Oh, no. God didn't go in the days of Noah, and you know what? The whole world is going awry and, and going off. He didn't go, oops, now what? i got to come up with a different plan. He didn't go in Abraham's day and say, you know what? And when, when uh, Israel didn't see it, he didn't go, oops, now what? It's part of his plan. It's been part of his plan ever since. How do we fit into the plan? Like I said, how do we fit into God's plan? Second Peter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 1 verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, if you're not a believer a child of God, a believer, a disciple. God wants you to be. He's made it part of his plan so that you can be. Um, and he, he opens the door. This morning was read from uh, Revelation where he said to the church in Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him or dine with him. And he with me. He stands at the door knocking. Your heart's door knocking. Will you open the door? It's 
that's part of how we fit into the plan. And then he told his disciples just before he left, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and we've been studying this in our Bible study time with, uh, with Ryan, and, and we've been listening to a man speak on this a video. It says, Jesus gave the disciples this last command in this last direction. He said, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, you're not saved to sit in a pew and do nothing. That's not part of the plan. The plan is for you to be an active witness for the Lord. Matthew 9, 37 and 38 says this, Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And we heard Charles Price bring up this verse. Only he brought it up from Luke Luke 10, verse 2, it says the same thing. It's almost word for word, um, same thing. Are you one of the laborers? If you're a child of God here tonight, are you one of the laborers? Or do you go off into your workplace, and now this is work time. I mean, we have Sunday time, that's my God time. And then we've got the rest of the week, which is kind of my time to build my kingdom, to earn money, to support my family, to look after the needs, the physical needs that we might have. Or do you take that time and think, you know what, this is God's time too. This is God's time for me to show this world that we're roaming around in who he is and what he's done for them. Sometimes people will say to believers, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. (laughs) that, That thought popped into my mind as Charles was here preaching. And he was, I don't know exactly which night it was, I can't remember that anymore. That thought popped into my mind. You need to make Jesus your king. You know, you can't even do that. You can't do that. Why do I say that? Because God has already done that. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 says this, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's already made him king. Whether or not you're submissive to him, or whether you're a rebel against him, he's already the king. How are you going to deal with that? Are you going to submit to him? You, you have that choice. And, and we think about that when we think about those old um, kings and there would be a knight and they would be, uh, what do you call it? Not christening them, but they'd tap them with the sword. And then those guys would kneel and, and pledge allegiance to the king. And they would, I guess, knight them. I guess that's what they would do. They would tap them, they would knight them. And they, that would be a sign that they were submissive. They would give their lives for that king. Have you done that for the Lord? (laughs) 
I, I think back to the time when Joe comes to me and she says, you know what, when we're away, would it be possible for you to speak? And she said, we got you on the schedule here. And I thought, wow, I'm a farmer. I've never preached in front of people before this summer. And I thought, wow. And we, we have that attitude. Really, God can use me? God wants to use me to speak in front of a bunch of people? And that can be overwhelming. That can be, wow, that's, that's more than I'm able to do. That's more than my talents. That's more than my ability. But I want you to think for a minute of the people God used. God used Noah. And sure, he was faithful, but what did he do right after he gets off the boat? And after he's, he's just already praised God, he's done the sacrifices, and he starts off life, and he, he falls again. He becomes drunk. Abraham, he uses who was an old man. It says he, of himself that he was as good as dead. Jacob, it says, was known as a deceiver. Moses couldn't speak, and he'd murdered a man. David also committed adultery. Jonah was a rebellious prophet, and he ran from God. And then we go to the disciples. All of them deserted him, and many of them were fishermen, just low men of a very low degree, and yet God chose them. Jesus chose them to, for them to serve him. Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was a, made it his job to go out and, and slay the Christians. And do you realize that even after these men, these disciples, these apostles, after they became martyrs and gave their lives or, or were banished to an island apart from anybody else, the gospel continued to spread. Why? How? When all of the head guys were taken out, how did it continue to spread? Well, there are others that popped up whose names we aren't even given. And it continued right to this day. People like you and like me who continued to share the gospel with Granny and Aunt Martha and Billy Bob that lives down the street and, and Dave, that's our neighbor, and the guy that we get groceries from or carries the groceries to the car, whatever. It becomes our duty, number one, to live a life that's worthy to share. Because that's, God never said, you know what, the law, the law didn't do it, so now it's by faith, so now you just have to ignore the law. No, it's not that way either, and that's not what I'm, if that's what you think you heard me say tonight, you heard it all wrong. When we come to Christ, it's no longer, we're keeping the law because the law is a boundary that, that's going to direct us to salvation. No, it's now, this is a labor of law, love. And I think about this. It's like this in a marriage. When you love her, you'll do the things that she likes. If you're just doing things because she's nagging you, where's the love in that? There is no love in that. That's like keeping the law. That's like just to get her off my back, I'm going to do the things she wants me to do. But if I love her, I will do the things that she likes. And that becomes a whole different story. And it's like that for when we become disciples of Jesus. 
if we're just keeping it because that's what the law says, this is the rule that God has given, and I have to abide by it, that's not love. But if we're doing it because we love the master and it's the best thing that he has for us, well, that changes everything. That changes it. That makes it no longer a burden, but that makes it an act of love for us. So tonight I leave you, and I I leave you with that thought. We are the ones who carry on the plan. How are you going to fit into the plan? Number one, if you're not a Christian here tonight, God wants you to be a part of his plan. He sent his son to a cross. He died there for your sins so that you can fit into the plan, so that you can be part of his family. That's been his plan from before day one. That's been his plan since the three of them gathered together and said, let us. That's been his plan. And though we may look at it and say there's been some bumps and bruises along the road and there's been some things that look like they don't fit into the plan of God, that's always been his plan to bring Jesus to the cross so that your sins and mine can be forgiven. And then after your sins are forgiven, he says, now I want you to share that plan with this world that needs to hear it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for just being able to share for a few minutes your plan. And Father, I pray that we would take it to heart that as we go from this place tonight and we go into our worlds and you've put us each in different places, we don't all bump into the same people week to week. And Father, I look at your second coming and and sometimes I, when I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, it's not going good and Father, I'm praying, come. And then I get another thought and it's like, look at a city full of people that don't know you. And, and who's supposed to be sharing with them. And Father, you tug on my heartstrings to say, look at this city, and it's like Jonah, and I, I find myself not being very loving. Father, you say, I love them, though. Help me to be a part of your plan. Your word says, you said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his fields. Father, send us. Send these people here from Norwich Baptist to be your laborers in your harvest field. And Father, it's contagious. When you see one that comes to the Lord, you want more. Father, I pray that they would get a little bit of that hunger to see people come to Christ, that they would want to see their loved ones love you. Father, I just pray that you'd challenge us tonight with that. And like I said, Father, if there's some here tonight that don't know you, Father, knock on their door. And don't let them have peace until they, till they surrender to you. Till they say, yes, you paid for my sins until they, make, or till they surrender and allow you to be Lord and King in their lives. I just ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.